Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, how's it going this week? It's going okay. How are you? I'm tired. Yeah, me um, too. I haven't slept well this week, so. That's not fun. Mm-mm. Lots of I things. Wish I could blame, yeah, I wish I could blame, like, the news or something, or the potential criminal investigations or impeachment or obstruction of justice, but it's just, I can't sleep. I'm yeah. having trouble going to sleep. <laughs> that's not good. I'm sorry no. to hear that. Nah, that's okay. The uh, is There's just lots of stuff that I need to keep track of. I need to put together all of my... Um, business expenses for last year um right because it's that time even though you're not going to get a refund this year because <laughs> you know the irs is closed oh <laughs> well actually you know i guess i did get a refund last year i just applied it to this year um because uh-huh. i have to, i pay quarterly and have to estimate my taxes yep. so like i yeah i never get a refund that's how it right. works for me yeah. <laughs> but um yeah that's the thing that other people have that come that happens soon uh, well it yeah. happens to some people i don't i didn't get a large refund last year so anyways um yeah so there's just it's a lot of that kind of stuff like things that shouldn't take that long but are just like there's a yeah. a long list i might have what they say the 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 hot trend right now is discussions of millennial burnout where you never seem to finish your to-do list do you have any thoughts on this i didn't read it um mm-hmm. for a couple of different reasons um in part because sometimes i don't feel like i'm defined as a millennial because i very much kind of fall in between that space between those uh gen x and millennial mm-hmm. type of thing so i'm always like this doesn't really apply to me sometimes and also i tend to finish my to-do lists mm-hmm. pretty sturdily so that's never really been an issue um i never finish my to-do lists ever yeah. i have like three currently that are like yeah. from different times like yeah, but I also make comprehensive, like, 20 to 30 point lists that I work on for a span of weeks. So yeah. I usually get all the essential stuff done, but... Yeah, and that's kind of how I structure my day, or week, rather, is like, all right, did I vacuum? Yep. All right. Well, did <laughs> I make sure that the sink stayed clean? Yep. Okay. It's all a right. win. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my very rarely, my work day is largely dictated by someone else so as long as i finish those tasks that day my to-do list is done yeah that's a very different experience see this is yeah. good because we are we learn about different people's experiences and that <laughs> they are different from our own uh, and then we hopefully grow and uh, it's a good thing uh, we also appreciate learning from and hearing from our listeners this week we heard from carl and vince uh carl of course my book on poetry i always love carl's handle uh says i have lost my taste for tv and don't know how to get it back i just keeping up just keeping up with the shows that i love is daunting and i've lost the desire to search for new is this common do you think yes yeah yeah very common Um, i ran i ran into this a lot especially when i was doing like a lot of weekly reviews Mm -hmm. like when i was doing like two or three or even like some weeks i was doing four i was just like i don't want to watch any more television i'm tired of television i sometimes hit that point normally around the end of the spring and sometimes in the middle of the summer with us Mm -hmm. um on the podcast i'm just like i don't care anymore i just don't just break up with everything 
Yeah, I'm just not going to watch anything. I'm just going to watch old stuff. Kate, do you want to talk about WKRP in Cincinnati? The first season's on Hulu. Yes, I do. That's all I, I want to talk about this week. By the way, <laughs> bookmark that for later. But yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's like all I... That's sometimes it's just like, I just want to talk about old stuff. And I don't want to talk about anything new. Kate, let's just watch the entire run of Highlander, the television series. <laughs> Oh, so many fond memories. I don't think I can ever revisit Highlander the series because I, I watched it as a kid and so mm-hmm. enjoyed it. Um, so I yeah. don't think I'm allowed to watch it. My mom was super into it for the Adrian Paul of it all. Yeah. Um, but I watched, a, I, as, a, so as a result, my sister and I watched a lot of it and oh, it was real good. I remember really liking it and I never get past watching the pilot anytime I try to restart watching it mm-hmm. for some reason. Uh, we watched so it for the, the theme song. By Queen. Yeah, theme song's excellent. Of course. Oh, good times. Quality. Quality entertainment. But yes, no, Carly, Um, you are not alone. We've all been there. And I like what I think is just like, then listen to what your brain is telling you and Uh just back away and come back later. And like as soon as it feels like homework to be keeping up with shows that you love, you're not going to enjoy them. So because yep. you are invested in these shows, unless you, like, don't want to be spoiled on them and, you know, you're trying to keep up with the social, like, media conversation or the water cooler at work or whatever, you know, just even those shows, just back away. Let them, you know, stockpile on your DVR for a while. And when you are jonesing for, you know, that little hit of, um, well, like, Game of Thrones is coming back soon, right? Then yeah. when you get... When when you are like, you know what, I would really like to watch that, then watch it. And if not, then that's totally fine. We'll watch it later. I've had uh, trouble getting back to You're the Worst. It's only in its yeah. second week, but I was just kind of like, <sighs> I mean, I know I'll like it when I watch it, <laughs> but I also could, like, fold laundry right now and listen to a podcast. And so I did that. And when I'm in the mood, I will watch it, and then I will enjoy it, I'm sure, and have interesting, hopefully, things to say, and it will have interesting things to say to me. But if I watched it right now, like this week, I wouldn't have had the bandwidth for it, and so I wouldn't have been actually enjoying it and picking up what it was putting down. So there's no there's no harm in just taking a break. I know Carl keeps up with so much, right, <laughs> and has mm-hmm. this relationship with all these different TV podcasts. But just take a break and come back to it later. You know, do the Marie Kondo thing. Find the TV show or the entertainment that brings you joy, that sparks joy, and everything else can just sit on the show. Don't delete it from your DVR. Don't, like, actually throw it out. But you can come back to it later. Uh, Vince wanted to know what we thought about sex education. We're going to be talking about that at the end of the show. Uh, Season one, of course, is on Netflix. It's an eight-episode, hour-long show. So uh, we'll be talking about that at the end of the podcast. Set in 2018, but dressed like it's the late 70s and mid-80s, and also we're, there are varsity jackets in Britain, and it's a whole I don't thing. understand what's happening here. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of love that aspect of it, but we're going to talk about that, yeah. certainly. Um, Vin says it was not as cringy as he was worried that it would be, but he's not sure he's on board with the ship that the show seems to be invested mm-hmm. in, the OTP, so... Again, more on this when we get to that segment, but uh, I, yeah, I'm glad that we decided to talk about, we were like a little on the fence if we were going to do it. I'm so glad we did. Yeah, I, I am too. Really enjoyed it. And I would not have, ch- I would not have sought it out, even with Jillian Anderson. I would not have sought it out if it wasn't for the podcast. So yay, go team. Yeah, no, I'm excited to talk about it as well, because I have some thoughts, Kate. I have some thoughts. Capital T, thoughts, okay. Um, I'm sure you have some thoughts on Grace and Frankie coming back today as we record for season five and renewed for season six uh, in 2020. 
Yeah, I haven't watched any of season five yet, in part because I have to wait and watch it with my person. Um, but I'm very excited it already got renewed, because that warms my heart that these two very good women, and also these two really good men, and also their supporting casts, um, are still going to get a good job. So I'm excited. Absolutely. We may be talking about that in a few weeks. We'll see how it goes. Um, also very exciting, if it sticks, R. Kelly has been dropped by Sony, um, it, at least partially in response to the Surviving R. Kelly documentary. We, again, we will see if it sticks. I uh, Color me skeptical. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it, Sony may drop him. Whether or not someone else picks him up is yeah. debatable. Yes, yeah. that's really... Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. Hopefully, yeah. all the skepticism will prove to not be warranted. And I should have been optimistic about people <laughs> and their interest in money related to to bad people. We'll we'll see how it goes. But we have plenty of TV to talk about. We have quite a lengthy list of TV shows to talk about. So we should <laughs> listen to sexy Ricky Lindholm singing from Crazy Ex Girlfriend. <laughs> so let's take a break and come back with our week in TV. We'll be right back after this. When day is night and night is not day, that's when the cats come out to play. Yes, we are the feral cats roaming west Covina streets, singing songs about ourselves over early 80s Broadway beats. That was Ricky Lindholm's song, I don't remember what the name of the song is, off the top of my head, from this week's episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Of course I loved it. It's a Cats parody that also it just makes fun of cats constantly. And the first cat we meet is Ricky Lindholm. I was definitely going to love this episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. More on that in a moment. But first, I'm going to talk a little bit about the season five premiere of Schitt's Creek, the crowing <laughs> and love letters. Then we'll both talk a bit about Blackish, Black Like Us, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Hitchcock and Scully, The Good Place, Cheaty Sees the Time Knife, and We've Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. We've all seen the Time Knife, Cheaty. <laughs> <laughs> and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, I need some balance. So first up is Schitt's Creek, and I I have seen like maybe one episode of this maybe ever it mm -hmm. really has hit like critical mass and yes. this le lead up to season five uh i feel like there was more buzz before season three and a little bit more before season four but it's like really broken through in a big yeah. way here before season five so i was like okay finally time to get off my butt and and dive in of course i am a big fan of Catherine o'hara and eugene levy who are the the potter and mater familia of the of the um rose family the premise, for those who don't know, is that the, they're a rich family that loses all their money to, uh, like, an accountant scheme. Um, and the only asset they have remaining is this town of Schitt's Creek, which they got as, like, a joke present for their son or something. So they didn't realize they owned it, so the accountant didn't know to steal it. Um, and so now they have to manage, like, a rundown motel in this tiny town kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Um that's at least the starting off premise. We're now in season five. Uh, 
the Catherine O'Hara plays Moira, who is a, f- a former actor or soap star, and uh, Eugene Levy is was a uh, of like a, a video store magnate. Uh, okay. So you know you can imagine how that would no longer be profitable like it had been. Um, and then there are two adult children, and so this this episode I thought was fun. Uh, there's some really great stuff for Catherine O'Hara, and especially in the first episode, um, I see I see a lot of buzz about people really loving Dan, uh, uh, Dan Levy's uh, David, and I thought he was good in this. Uh, I think we really it's solid stuff, but I was not blown away like I was hoping to be, especially when I saw so many reviews. Or the, uh, talking about how this was a really strong start to the season, so not like it came back a little weak and was going to get better. Um, I'm wondering if I would respond to it a lot more positively if I had seen the other seasons. Like, you know, if I had a stronger connection with the characters, I'm sure that would help things. But um, I thought it was, I thought it was like solid. To I can see the potential here. So I'm going to try to stick with it for a while and see if it grows on me. Or I'm, right. maybe what I should do is go back and jump jump in with the show at the beginning and like go for the ride. And by the time I get to this point, I'll, you know, see what the other people are seeing. But I will say I was a little, I was a little underwhelmed. I was a little surprised to not be like laughing more. I would say my favorite moments in these first two episodes, uh, there's just, it's this unreal. Cause Moira's filming a movie like to be her big comeback. And she, it's like a schlocky horror movie about, crows turning into people or people turning into crows or something. I mean, both of those are scary, so either yeah. one. The crowing. It's like a the crows have eyes three or something. I don't know. It's something like that. Um, and she gets it's just obviously a ridiculous, terrible movie. Um, but she gets this monologue at the end and then you're watching this going like, damn, Catherine O'Hara is selling this. I like that they actually make Moira, who's terrible and just useless, actually a good actor. <laughs> um, and, and so that it gets me so much more invested in that character and in anything else. So so despite her all these other things wrong with the, with who she is, she's still like she's really good at this this one thing apparently. Um, so that was interesting. And then there was a there's a robbery scene in the second episode that's just terrific. Uh, David's well, open the door <laughs> for those who have seen it. They'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, that was that was really great. But the rest of it just kind of was like, yeah, this is fine. Uh, have you watched Denise's Creek? I'm not allowed to. Okay. Um, yeah, no, my person caught up on Schitt's Creek and its CBC airing partner, Kim's Convenience, mm. um, on Netflix uh, before both of these dropped. Um, and I was allowed to watch Kim's Convenience with her uh, when she watched the premiere um, because she was like, you really don't need to like know anything. But she was just like, I think you'll appreciate Schitt's Creek more if you start from the beginning. So I think that maybe you're on the right track, but I was just like, okay, well, I'll see if I can carve out time for that. Um, but at least I can watch Kim's Convenience without doing that. <laughs> She's like, yeah, it's fine. And I liked Kim, Kim's Convenience. Both of these um, air on the CBC, which we get for some reason mm-hmm. in our cable package. But Schitt's Creek is on Pop is that in Pop? the U.S.? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I've heard such great things about Kim's Convenience, so maybe that's when I should carve out some time I liked, as well. I liked the first episode quite a bit, uh, despite not having having to pause it a lot so my person could explain some of the ins and outs of where things were left off in the finale from the previous mm-hmm. season um but overall it was it was very charming yeah good to know um what did you think of blackish black like us which is their big episode on colorism 
I liked it. Um, it wasn't as dynamic as I was kind of hoping it to be in terms of, like, staging. Um, which I think is a purposeful sort of thing, but also, like, keeping them trapped in the house, as it were, was a little bit of a struggle in terms of keeping things interesting um, visually. But it helps by the fact that I think that there's a really good discussion overall that this episode's having. I just don't know that the they come to a solid enough conclusion. Um, and I am at least glad the the big thing to pull out of this is hopefully now like a Ruby and Bo sort of detente, as it were, hopefully going forward. Um, but overall, I thought it was solidly funny. I liked the inciting incident for it, um, is really, I think, really sharp and really good and a really good way to launch into this. And yeah, I would have, it was also an episode where I was very much like, I really want Zoe here. Yeah. Um, was something else I was really kind of hankering for while this episode was happening. I really wanted Zoe there and that didn't happen. That felt like a missing component to all of this in a lot of ways of Zoe's presence. Um, so overall I thought it was good. Um, and I thought it was interesting. The animation sequence was as, as always really, really good again. And so, yeah. Um, so how, what did you think about it? How familiar were, are you with this concept of colorism? And yeah, what did you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar. Uh, I mean, as familiar as a white person can be with uh-huh. this topic, I think is very important to stress. Um, but I, I, thought, I thought the episode was really well done. And I particularly appreciated that it was such a showcase for Tracy Ellis Ross and for Jennifer Lewis. And that yeah. they really let them take center stage, um, which, which felt appropriate. And there's, there's been this thread of uh, humor around or like jokes centered on Tracy Ellis Ross is half black and half white, like, and, and isn't that funny to to keep like it's like it, and not really as the show thinking it's funny, but more as a character beat yes. for for some of the other characters. So I really liked that they actually did then draw on that for where Bo was coming from, and also connect that in with Junior in a way that I thought was really well done. Um, yeah, so I th- I thought it was a effective and powerful episode i thought that the the humor as such landed and the things that needed to not be funny like the 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 failed attempts at at some of the characters to like tell a joke and have things blow over um land with exactly the thud they should so i thought that was really well done and uh, the thread of jack just trying to get to school on time uh, so you can have something next to his name uh in the yearbook i I thought that that was was another like well used thread you know Uh, especially in this discussion of um for the characters are we going to get into this or are we going to live our lives because you know you we also yeah. need to get to school on time. So this is an important yeah. conversation to have, but it also this is every day of our lives. So so I th- thought that the the I thought the balance for this episode w- was very well done. And again, this I'm glad that they're paying Tracy Ellis Ross because <laughs> this show yeah, would not work too. without her. Nope, would not. Yeah. Um how about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Hitchcock and Scully? We finally got the Hitchcock and Scully spotlight that it's taken yeah. us 6 years to get to. 6 seasons. <laughs> It was totally worth the wait. It was really good. It was very enjoyable. Um, <laughs> the flashbacks to the 80s were fabulous. I really appreciated how dedicated they were to the sort of 80s aesthetic type thing that they open with it. I thought I was really glad with that. 
and just how really delightfully NBC-y that 80s TV opening was as well, I thought was really good. Um, It definitely would have felt different on Fox, which wasn't really around in the 80s that much. Mm -hmm. Um, Not as, like, prominent in terms of, like, NBC was. So I think that there was just really, it was really funny. I enjoyed, like, the beaver trap. (laughs) This is not our van. We respect women. I'm still with her. We should have taken an Uber. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Um. And so I appreciate that, and I appreciate the fact that we got legitimate confirmation they were le- they were good cops once, mm-hmm. and now they're just kind of terrible. And because they started they started eating hot wings is the answer to that, which is also really good. <laughs> just because the slut sauce was just so good. Yeah, so good. Um, so I really enjoyed that as well. So I think that there's just a number of like r- really good things in that A plot that are just really delightful. Um, as for like the stuff surrounding uh, dealing with John Kelly and the tensions in the nine nine with the upstairs and the downstairs people, all of that was fine. I'm sort of already ready for this to wrap up. Um, but we'll see, I guess. How did you feel about it? I I enjoyed the episode. I thought it was super fun. And I thought that um, I was a little worried that it would feel too like, oh, we got renewed at another network. Oh, guess we're going to pull out this wacky episode that we never did. You know, like it felt very gimmicky and stunty. But I thought that they, uh, they threaded the needle with that. And it, it had enough grounding in the present to make the episode work. And uh, the... the I should know their names, but I don't. The actors who play Hitchcock and Scully, both in the past, but specifically in the present, I think really nailed this episode. Um, and they gauged their characters just the right way to to still be very true to what's going on, you know, it, with those characters throughout the run of the show. But to, to take out that little bit notch more of awareness and to make it make sense that this did used to be them. They did used to be these badasses. You can kind of believe it in this episode um, Mm -hmm. without ever negating how idiotic they are now and terrible they are now. I think the heightened, like, like when the bullets are stopped by the sauce is so ridiculous. But I think at that point in the episode, they've earned it. The episode has earned your goodwill. So you will absolutely go with it in a way that is, uh, surprising at least for me because i'm so picky um but delightful at the same time like I, w- I could like reflect on myself in that moment being like i think i'm gonna give that one to them that's not like me but <laughs> well done gentlemen uh those characters or people who made this episode you know um so yeah i had a lot of fun with this one and I'm, i i felt a little silly for kind of being skeptical when i saw the title so uh, well done, Brooklyn Nine Nine, and congratulations on like didn't they like double their numbers or something? Did for the I didn't ratings? see their ratings for this week. Oh no, not for this they... week, just in the premiere. Oh. Yeah, no, the last the premiere did gangbusters. Like it was one of the most watched for NBC on a Thursday in a very long time for a comedy, and mm-hmm. they easily did better here than they did ever at Fox. Yeah, so that's awesome. Yay. Yay, Happy Kate. Uh, also, Happy Kate. Uh, the Good Place, Cheaty Sees the Time Knife. I, like, love this episode. I thought it was so good. <laughs> I was glowing about it last week when we recorded because I had just seen it. Uh, what did you think about this one? Were you as on board as I was? 
I made penis bees. That that's my idea. <laughs> um, oh, my favorite though is that's terrific. But my favorite is still there's a chicken sandwich that if you eat it, it means you hate gay people. And it's but it's so delicious. Good. <laughs> so delicious. Oh, that's true. I was like, yep, yes, that is. Those are true statements. <laughs> I have not had that chicken sandwich or those waffle fries in so long, and I would love to be able to. <sighs> Yeah, I really listeners. Kate, or, Kate is legitimately broke up, broken up yeah. about this. I've never seen her cry on camera before, but <laughs> just she's tears, just, the tears, just like the tears of court of peanut oil grease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, since Listening. that's what they fry the yeah. yeah, yeah. Since that's what they fry everything in is peanut oil. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, this was really good. Um, even if it is sort of a all right, well, we need to transition into the finale, basically. Um, yeah. But I, I think that there's a enough humor and b the concept of well why don't we just actually keep score and we can do this and figure it out and it's just like this is all really good and what it is is mainly like putting in lots of really good pieces in place by all right we'll set this up behind Mindy St Clair's house and Derek is kind of smart now he almost has a fully formed penis Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, Manzukis. So good. With his lemon in the martini glass. Or, no, I like the whole martini glass of olives that he was just dropping. Yeah. Um, It was just really, really good. Um, But I did like the overall sort of discussion of, like, it's very hard to be good right now. There's too many things. And, again, sort of like what I referenced last week of, like, no, the reason why it's so hard to be good is capitalism is it's too it's too much in the way. Um you it's and so I like that concept of how do we address how difficult it is to be good and the intention of being good and how much that should play a part. Um so I'll be curious to see um who and how long we stick with this experiment. Yeah. Um especially since we do have a season 4. So I'm like, I, I'm already like, what are we doing in season four? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially because like you, this could have been the finale and yes. set up season four, but it's not. Exactly. So, yeah. We'll see. My one quibble that I have with this is that like Michael needs to immediately tell Eleanor that they have a fake Michael. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, he he does, but they'll just wipe his memories or their memory. No, but they like said that. right now, because yeah, fake Michael could show up at any moment. Oh, that's super true. Yeah, and it's just it felt very contrived and stupid that he did not immediately tell her or say yeah. something. Yeah, I think you it know? was just part of like his overall breakdown he was having. Yeah, like, so that needs oh. to happen in this next episode. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I. Need. Yeah, it does. Yeah. But um, in general, I was super um, I, like the the IHOP, and when Chidi steps down and falls through the floor because they're not actually in the IHOP, and the yeah. need no- nozzle or whatever, which is apparently a thing from the podcast. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, these are all terrific uh, and super fun, and yeah, I just I was very on board with with this episode. I liked that Michael has this huge revelation, and he goes to the judge, and she's like. Wait, that was your pitch? Life is complicated? Because that's stupid. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I like that, that it immediately got shut down. I, got, I like that we got to see the reason that Ted Danson was flossing. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that that just the way that it all culminated, I thought, was was 
was fun and interesting. I'm not invested at all in the love triangle um, that we seem to be building, or at least they they want Jason to think is brewing. Um, but again, hopefully that'll be resolved quickly. And I do enjoy Menzukis. This I like this change to Derek. I think yes. it lets Menzukis play more. So yeah. we'll see. Uh, but also, like, Jason's the one who got the judge to do something, because Jason's so good at that kind of convincing people with random anecdotes from his Dance Dance Revolution group. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dance Dance Resolution. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, and then we needed it. They needed that surprise. They needed a, a you know. Yeah pivot into something else. I also really liked the way that they organically incorporated this idea of Chidi being so indecisive and trying mm-hmm. to think everything through, like, as part of the discussion, too. Yeah. It made, it felt, it just was this little thread of, um, I'm guessing happy accident that they cleverly picked up and connected, like, as opposed to, it was part of the plan all along, guys. <laughs> um, th- but that worked really elegantly and um, was a, another little just notch in like the the cohesion of the show as a whole Uh so yeah uh i'm super on board with the good place surprising no one can't wait to watch the finale um i also am super on board with craziest girlfriends cats parody which is this episode i need some balance i literally noel i snorted i snorted out loud just like <laughs> when the cats, like the the background music started with the backlight and like mm-hmm. the the, it was like there's there's a Venn diagram of various things, and in the center of that Venn diagram is this episode, and also in the center of that Venn diagram is me and probably friend of the show Allison Shoemaker as well. <laughs> but this episode, I would feel like this episode say this episode feels like it's made just for me, except that it's obviously also just made for Allison. Uh, I loved it so much. What did you think? I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm someone who's never actually heard the Cats, like, soundtrack at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen, like, a PBS special back when they were airing them constantly during the, the um, fundraising drives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I my familiarity with Cats basically extends to jokes on the nanny <laughs> and jokes on literally any other program. <laughs> Um, but it's enough cultural osmosis that everything lands in terms of, like, what Cats is and what people think about it. So everything works well enough here. And so I'm familiar enough, at least with the style of some of the songs from clips and that kind of a thing, to know, okay, right, got it, all right. And this concept of the Cats just have weird adjective names as opposed to actual names. Um... So overall, like, I appreciated that, but I also appreciated that they merged doing a Cats parody while they're also doing an episode about a yeast infection. I think it's just really, really, really deeply funny. And then to also top it off with Greg and Nathaniel becoming friends was also, I think, just really good overall. Um, So I think that there's just a lot of really good stuff in this episode, and there's a lot of really good humor in this episode. Like... I, I watched. The, I also watched this episode with my person, and when Rebecca was just like, "Oh yeah, I just doubled up on everything and all the treatments for it," and, and she immediately went, "No, <laughs> no," and even I went, "No, why? <laughs> That's a terrible idea. That's not going to do anything." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
that was really good. It was really funny, I think, overall. But also, I just appreciated the sort of, like, the messiness of, like, uh, how this wanting to do something really well and, like, get back on that horse. But getting caught up in either your own head but also your body getting in the way as well, I think are two really good things to explore for the show and something else we'll get to when we talk about sex education. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they thread that needle really, really nicely. And I think it was just really sharp and really funny. And I just loved White Josh freaking out so much the entire episode. <laughs> we are all White Josh in this episode. Yes. Oh my god, it's so yeah. funny. He did nothing but just stand there, go like, "This is this is terrible. How do I? What do I? I don't know what I do. What? Uh, uh, like, and just slowly panic and freak out and not actually do anything until it's too late. And I laughed every time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it was just so relatable. <laughs> Right, and that joke should get kind of old by the end of the episode, but it doesn't. And but it doesn't. That's in, part, that's in part due to the actor is just being really, really good. Mm-hmm. He's just really good at that particular beat. Um, and the only... I, I do think that the Daryl thing is a little weak. Yeah, um, it's not as good, definitely. It's not as good, and it also suffers from a lack of Paula, because I feel like they're doing a lot of really good Paula stuff off screen with things that Paula does to these people. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I'm just like, I would like to see that on screen. I appreciate the world building, but I want to see it on screen too, everyone. Um, but I also know that that's a matter of like giving your actors time to do things for other episodes, I'm, mm-hmm. I have to assume. So I'm having to roll with a bunch of stuff. So the Daryl stuff was okay, but it was also just kind of really tired. Like we've been here before. Um, and and Daryl's grown since then. And he has. That's the other thing. Is like he's grown a lot since this has happened. Then that he should be past this, even if someone did steal his mustache. Yeah, though you know it, it, that really comes into focus for me because the the Rebecca that we see at the end of this episode is not the Rebecca of previous seasons. Like yes. she's just chilling in a bar, having a drink with Valencia, not spiraling. Right. Like last season, Rebecca or the year before or the year before would have been like a com- in a completely different place, would have been absolutely trying to like desperately reach out to one or all of these guys and not secure enough to be able to just like reflect on what had happened <laughs> and why and, um, you know, the the elements that she's in control of and the elements that she's not in control of in those interactions. So I really appreciated that as well. Uh, and, and you mentioned it, but the stuff with Nathaniel and Greg, I thought was awesome. I really hope that they keep those to like some extent of like, friends or at least see each other at the gym interact every now and again they're in business together (laughs) well if they actually go through that i hope they do because yeah no they need to because that's a really great plot to pursue (laughs) well and the the energy that they have the chemistry Uh that they have was terrific yeah as well and very much made (laughs) made sense it's like you don't need to keep saying that you're good now uh it's weird that you do i'm rich Uh, yeah no nope. you also, need to stop that too yeah don't do that yeah uh so so i'm really enjoying um i really enjoyed this episode i'm really enjoying where it looks like they're headed for the, this back chunk of episodes and i cannot wait to watch the next one even though i can't possibly be as good because it won't have the cats parody and and just like they just kept being amazing i did not recognize the Hall. i should have but i didn't oh no i totally did i was just like 
I, a, I saw him in the credits, so I just went, okay, where is he? And then I saw him, and I just went, you choreographed this number two, I bet. <laughs> I was texting with Allison. I was like, oh, is that Ricky Lindholm? She's like, yep. I was like, is that Fred Armisen? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, yeah. Was, oh, Fred Armisen. And waiting for the next one to come, you know, to yeah. show up. And, like... Yeah, it was it was very good. Elated cat and the last one. I don't even remember which cat the last one is, other than she does memory. Um, yeah, so fun, so very very fun. Uh, I like are there are people that I want to sh- to recommend this episode to for the cats of it all that I can't because right. of the everything else about the show. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Which is unfortunate, but uh, but well done, craziest girlfriend people. Um, did. I mean, what one's your week in TV? Is this when your week in comedy? I mean, it's a tough week. Like, Bradley Whitford came back on Mom this week, um, and he's just super delightful. Um, but uh, it's tough. I think it's Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I think mm-hmm. it's Crazy Ex-Girlfriend this week. Um, but, like, Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine are, like, super close. But I think it's – I'm, I'm going to give it to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. What about you? Um, I want to give a shout out to Bob's Burgers for now being the second best show to use the title uh, Helen Hunt. Um, <laughs> and for the casting, voice casting of Caitlin Olsen and Sharon Horgan as the two uh, potential love interests uh, for our scheming family of Belchers. Uh, so that was delightful. But uh, no, I mean, like, Good Place I really, really liked. But then Crazy Ex-Girlfriend showed up and just crushed it. So uh, well done, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I Need Some Balance is definitely uh, wins my week in tv and in this like you said in this week uh that wins my week in comedy i should say that that is a significant statement so now we will take a break listen to some more music and come back with our week in reality and genre That was our lip sync for your legacy, the last one potentially for a while over on Drag Race, uh, Jump to It by Aretha Franklin. Um, this week in reality and genre, Noel's going to kick things off with The Promised Neverland, episodes one and two, then uh, one, two, one, oh, four, five, and one, three, one, oh, four, five. You can tell me what that means uh, in yeah. a moment. Then, I don't uh, know. <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about the premiere of A Discovery of Witches, episode one. Noel's going to talk about Carmen Sandiego, season one, the first uh, few episodes of that over on Netflix, the animated series. Then I will chime in with Star Trek Discovery and its premiere brother. Noel watched American Experience The Swamp. And then I will talk about, or we'll both talk about, I should say, Top Chef Gardner. And we'll round things out, of course, with Drag Race, All Stars, Roast in Peace. So as we ping pong and talk at each other for a while here, uh, The Promised Neverland, is this a Peter Pan thing or just a happy coincidence? 
I'm sure it is very much intended as an homage of some sort to Jay and Barry and to uh, Peter Pan. It has virtually nothing to do with Peter Pan apart from the fact that there are orphans involved. If you want to think about the Lost Boys as orphans. Um, so this is a anime that's uh, streaming right now in the U.S. on Crunchyroll. Um, but if you're in Japan, it's over on Amazon Video. Um, and if you're in various other places, it's on Hulu or Funimation or HID, HI High Dive. So it's in a bunch of different places, depending on where you live. <laughs> um, but I don't want to give too much of this away in terms of its overall premise. Um, but I'll give you sort of like a basic gist, um, is that this is adapted from a Shonen, uh, Jump comic, which made me a little antsy at first, since I was expecting sort of really standard Shonen nonsense of, you know, action, Naruto, Bleach, um, One Piece type of stuff. Um, that is not this. So if you don't like those shows, good news. Um, Shonen is a lot deeper than those, like, three major properties, but it's also not as, it's sometimes also not as deep sometimes. It just kind of depends on the creators. Um, so anyway, this particular, um, series is set in 2045. Uh, it deals with orphans who live in this really nice house called the Gracefield House. Um, and it focuses on 11-year-old Emma and her 37 siblings, basically, uh, living together um you've got really good food you've got nice beds they also sort of um all participate in these weird education classes that use the touch screen and it's kind of creepy and that's sort of the beginning of indications that something is very much wrong here um the other thing is is that they don't know a whole lot about the outside world um, there's this weird low fence that runs along the edge of the property that they're not allowed to cross. And there's a gatehouse at the edge of the property that they can see. And the portcullis is always closed, except when someone has leaving the house, basically, to be adopted. None of this is actually accurate to what's happening, mm-hmm. but it's really creepy. And the first episode is really, really good. The second episode is a much more of a, all right, here's how we deal with stuff. And here's how we're also being countered with the fact that they're onto us sort of thing. Um, so I really, really like this. It's probably one of my favorite new series of anime this season. I'm only watching a few. Um, so it's a, it's a small bunch to draw from, but this is really, really good. It's really, um, it's really well animated, um, and it is uh, really well written in a way that both feels really suspenseful and really compelling, but also feels of a piece of, like, as, especially about the second episode, I was very much like, this is definitely from Shonen. <laughs> um, in a lot of instances, it was just like, yeah, yeah, it is. But it does better than its t- standard demographic does and i'm really eager to see a lot more of this um because it's creepy it's scary but it also has lots of um good sort of mental strategy games being played as well which 
enhances things a lot. So I really encourage people to watch this if this sounds at all interesting to you. Again, if you're in the U.S., it's on Crunchyroll. Uh, drops on Thursdays um, if you've got a premium membership. Otherwise, you have to wait a week for the new episode to become available. But it's pretty good, and I'm eager to keep up with it. It's going to be 12 episodes, so I may be checking in um, every once in a while. But I also just don't want to spoil it because mm-hmm. it's it's real good. <laughs> well, like you're describing, like like they have a creepy school and the touchscreen, and there's a wall, and don't ask any questions about that. It's totally fine. They're totally yeah. getting adopted out. That's what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally what's happening. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, <laughs> definitely not a sinister evil plot at all. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it sounds very um, intriguing. So you've done a good job of selling, sir, without yeah, spoiling good. too much. Well done. <laughs> um, I'm not going to sell a Discovery of Witches too hard. Here's what I'm going to say. Okay. This is exactly what you think it is from our description and our preview. Um, it's it's based on a set of a trio of, of a trilogy of novels. Um, it it is set in a world where there are witches and vampires and demons, and apparently that's it. Uh, there's no discussion of like werewolves or other things like that as well, like other mystical creatures. Those are the three main ones um and it's surrounding uh it's at, at, at oxford there's a young professor she's she's a very young and attractive uh american professor who has who's from yale who's like the youngest ever tenured faculty member at yale in her like i don't know it was like late 20s early 30s or something like that which is absurd um and she's got all these degrees and she's a brilliant historian and also she's a witch but she doesn't use her powers like it's I don't really like this term, um, but so far she's such a Mary Sue. <laughs> so far, um, okay. so I'm hoping that she will get more distinct. She just really feels like the kind of character who's there to be brilliant and amazing, but very relatable and not a particularly specific. You know, she, you're supposed to see yourself in in her in that character, um, which is underwhelming so hopefully i will get a stronger connection to her Teresa palmer is the performer and she does a good job i think with what she's given but again it does it just doesn't feel there's like there's not a lot of there there but what there is there is alex kingston who's good in her like one scene she gets and a number of other really terrific uh reliable actors rounding out the, the cast and there's matthew good as a sexy broody vampire so he's very good and so i'm gonna watch more of it Pretty much just for Matthew Good, and um, that's enough of a reason for me. I wasn't sure if it would be, uh, but I think you know it's shot well and it's uh, it hits some predictable beats, but in a way that I think works. There's some good visual effects and um, interesting enough motivations that, like, it, that basically you can keep clicking, clipping along with it, and then then Matthew Good shows up and is a sexy smart vampire and is good so like that's the only reason i'm watching so far so we'll see hopefully i hope to be more engaged with it i think if they didn't have the caliber of cast they do it would collapse like a plan in a cupboard <laughs> to quote any third um but the the visuals of like the the lead is she's i don't even remember her name that says a lot um but Teresa Palmer, as she's rowing, right? Like, there's enough shots like that. They take time with establishing shots. They take time with characters, like, sitting and thinking. Um, there's these gorgeous shots of the library at Oxford where you just, like, want to disappear into the set. Which, because apparently it is a set they didn't film on location um, at the BOD. Uh, 
so it's it's fun being in the world. And um, I think that's all you really need, at least in a first episode. So whether they get me to stick around every week remains to be seen. Um, if I couldn't just, like, set a DVR recording, you know, <laughs> if I had to remember to go and seek it out every week, I think that would be harder. <laughs> I don't know that I would continue. Or if I didn't have, like, a, written in our notes Oh, this! Oh, it's right. This show airs on this day. I might, I probably wouldn't stick with it. It seems more like a binge the whole season when you're sick someday kind of thing for me, um, especially if you're on cold meds and you know are not going to follow the most in, like intense and detailed plot. Um, but yeah, I had fun. You know, it's not nothing to write home about. But if if you are interested in Teresa Palmer as likable but kind of bland. Reluctant hero, leading lady, and Matthew Good as sexy vampire. Then, there you go. Well, and like so far, just like dashing, brooding vampire in the background who's going to try not to eat the the heroin. <laughs> like then, you you know what you're signing up for. Yeah, is that another mediocre pitch? I mean. Sure. I don't have Sundance, so I I don't think I can watch any of this, but Oh no, that's what I mean. Like I don't think you should. This is not this is not oh, a yeah. null show. <laughs> this is a show for someone who, who hears this it's like I hear what you're saying, and I heard a lot of words, and then I heard Matthew Good as a sexy vampire, so I'm gonna watch, right? Like and mm-hmm. no shade. That's a perfectly legitimate reason to watch a show. And if so, this is a show for you. So I will if I stick with the whole season, I will chime in with thoughts on the finale. Um but don't expect to hear much about it until then, I would say for me. It already has been renewed for season two and season three, because uh, it aired last year over on Sky. So, um, you know, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. But we'll we'll see if it catches on over in the US. Um I'm also curious to see if Carmen San Diego will catch on again in this new iteration, this animated uh Netflix show. You've seen the first three episodes well the first three episode, which is like basically like two stories, is a two part premiere. Becoming Carmen Becoming Carmen San Diego and the Sticky Rice Caper. Um I have heard mixed things. How, how did you like these first episodes? Um they're fine, I think. Um Shock Among Shocks, Gina Rodriguez is great. Um, like, you don't need me to tell you that. And she's really good here voicing Carmen. The first two episodes were basically sort of a pilot premise of, all right, Carmen was getting trained by Vile, and then realized that Vile was, well, Vile. And decides to kind of in the name. (laughs) It's kind of in the name. Um, strikes out on her own as sort of a Robin Hood figure, and basically is trying to hit up their their caches of where they're keeping their loot to liberate some of it. And I think that that is, uh, is better executed than I thought it was going to be, basically. Um, her, this kind of globetrotting uh, do right by the fact that I've been trained by all these evil, horrible people type of things. Um, but it also allows you to meet a number of like recurring antagonists that are going to start appearing, basically her classmates and her cohort, um, when she was coming up through Vile. So there's good sort of character stuff, and... The voice casting is generally really, really good. In addition to, like, Gina Rodriguez, uh, film Finn Wolfhard plays Player, which is the codename given to the White Hat hacker who helps Carmen. Um, but you've also got, like, um, Liam O'Brien, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, um, Carrie Walgreen, um, Troy Baker, and um, Kamiko Glenn uh, shows up a little bit later. These are all folks who are terrific voice actors, so I was really glad with their inclusions. 
but I was also really kind of giddy by Rita Moreno appearing um, as Cookie Booker, who's Vile's, like, accountant, which <laughs> is, A, delightful because, hey, Rita Moreno's getting more money, but also because Rita Moreno voiced Carmen Sandiego in Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego, the Fox Kids animated series from back in the mid-90s. So it's just like, oh, that's right. That's right. And in addition, uh, Zach and Ivy, who were the main characters in that series, return here as uh, Bostonian twins that help Carmen out with her um, do-right capers sort of thing. Um, So overall, I think it's okay. Um, The pilot premise episode is a little bit of a drag at being two episodes, I think, even though... It's efficient, but it's also like, I don't really need all of this information all at once kind of thing. Peppering it in mm-hmm. when relevant, I think, would have solved a lot of issues for me. Um, the show is really heavy on action and comedy. Um, so if you're looking for that good sort of blend, with, um, especially with kids like 6 to 11, 6 to 12, you're probably in the right sweet spot here. It is about... It's actually a little lower on the edutainment scale, however, um, in terms of stuff that you learn from watching Carmen Sandiego compared to, like, the PBS game show or even the Fox animated series where you get a little bit of information where, depending on where they're going to go, like, the second episode takes place in Indonesia and you get all this stuff about uh, really quick hits about puppetry, about rice, about um, the Komodo dragon, about um, uh, oh that that uh, that sticky fruit that is always on Amazing Race whenever they go to Indonesia. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I can't I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so you get all of that, like, all at once, but then there's very little other sort of factoids given, which... That's part of the point of Carmen Sandiego. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So we'll see going forward. Um, I think it's only, like, nine episodes long, Um, so I'm probably going to keep watching, Mm -hmm. um, because it's good background noise, and again, Gina Rodriguez is very, very good in this. Um, but I'm waiting for the, um, live action series a lot more, or live action film at least a lot more that's got Gina Rodriguez in it as well. So, yeah, if, if it's got kids, I think it's a solid choice. Um, and if you want background noise as an adult, you could do a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not something I think you, anyone should be rushing out to watch unless you want to show it to your kids. Okay, Carmen San Diego or she references is a power. Well, that's the thing is I think I actually prefer Carmen Sandiego a little bit more just on aesthetics, mm. even if it's an issue of the fact that um, a lot of the aesthetics for Carmen Sandiego sort of reminded me of, um, do you remember those old insurance ads that had the spy lady in mm-hmm. them, Kate? Yeah. The, the aesthetic for Carmen Sandiego reminds me really heavily of that, um, those those spots, but they also sort of blend it with sort of a storybook sort of style of, like, pencil work. Um, so some lines appear a little unfinished sometimes, which I actually kind of like. Or they appear more pencil which I, again, I kind of like. So it's mostly on an aesthetics level that I kind of prefer Carmen Sandiego over uh, She-Ra. Um, but I also haven't watched all of Carmen Sandiego yet. So, yeah. 
Okay. I have a question and a comment. Comment. Okay. Cookie Booker is an awesome name. It's a uh-huh. particularly awesome name for an animated show and a Carmen Sandiego show, and in this case, both. Also, Rita Moreno. Does she get to use her actual accent? Can she just, like, be Rita Moreno in this? I think she's just Rita Moreno in this. Oh, yay. That's awesome, because I yeah. haven't seen her in something where she gets to just, like, actually use her voice in... Yeah. A long time. So I that's a reason for me to check this out. <laughs> you should definitely watch clips of the old Carmen Sandiego show that I was referencing because she mm-hmm. just uses her regular voice in that. Okay, yeah, it's been so long since I watched it. I am very yeah. fondly familiar with and, okay. and, and remember the uh, the edutainment show with the chief. I was so sad when the yes. chief passed away. That was many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and with like the giant like light up like yeah. sticker thingies, like poles. What did oh, I assume is actually... Kids. Just uh, got third place in their school's Geography Bowl uh, this oh, last week. Oh, nice. So I was thinking of Carmen Sandiego in relation to that, of course. Um, but I, do, I don't think I watched the animated show back in okay. the day. So maybe that's worth yeah. seeking out. Yeah. Uh, okay. it's, it's got such a... It also has a really ridiculously catchy theme song, Kate. Mm-hmm. Like, super ridiculously catchy. It's not, you know, it's not the dulcet tones of, oh, what were their names on the game show? Um, Rockapella? Rockapella. The Rockapella. It's not their dulcet tones, but it's still really good. <laughs> yeah, I was not fond of the version of the theme song I heard for this one. Uh, yeah, like, no, it's... Just, you're not as good. I, I like the opening credits a lot for it. Like, the sequence, <laughs> I think, is really good, but the song is just nothing. Yeah, no. Um, another opening credit sequence we're not super fond of is Ugh, Star Trek Discovery. so bad. Is it still really bad? Uh, it's... I mean, it's the same. It's fine. Oh, well, then but, it's still really bad. Yeah, it just like, and I and I really don't think it's Star Trek Discovery's fault. I think it's I think it's just suffering in comparison to every other Star Trek. Of course, we're not counting Enterprise uh, being so good right. with their openings. Yes. Like, so people were talking about DS Nine a lot this week on Twitter, and it just made me happy. I could just hear the horns, you know, the low brass of that that shot in the purple spate. You know, just makes me happy even just thinking about those ones. And this one is like it's. It's fine. I had such higher hopes for for that one based on the, the who the composer is. But that is a lot of discussion of something that is not this premiere, season two premiere brother. And I think that this is a solid premiere. I really enjoyed it. I think it's a step in the right direction for them. It feels very Trek in a way that season one didn't always. The mm-hmm. characters that worked before still work here. I think Anson Mount is a good addition as uh, Pike. And uh, I know I didn't watch Hell on Wheels, but I, <laughs> I did edit the reviews of someone who did weekly coverage for it a while back. So I was familiar with That's that show. That's a good way to get familiar with the show yeah <laughs> exactly for a long time um so uh and i appreciated his performance when i've seen him in other things i think he's does really well here um the i, I can't you know it's been too long since i watched uh the glass menagerie in the cage and um the little shout out to that here is okay um if very if it's a little cute but um but i remember really enjoying the the things around that character when he showed up in the original versus the character himself, because he's not really one. He's it's mostly a vehicle for Spock to have a, to have a narrative in the original Star Trek. Uh, I think that they're doing they're they're kind of trying to find a space between Kirk and the other captains for Pike. Um, it's he's a little too Kirky for my tastes, um, mm-hmm. but you know, because I wish it was a little more distinct. But in you know. We'll see if that comes with the next couple of episodes. I like that they are leaving Saru in so, as like sort of like co-captain with him somewhat. Um, okay. 
And, Good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's a little nebulous, but I think they they make a point. They have him, the character, make a point of of say of expressing that that he has a specific mission, but in things that don't pertain to his mission, Saru's in charge, basically. Yeah, um, yeah, because it was non- some nonsense that Saru wasn't made captain. <laughs> yes, it it was. I am not at all interested in the drama that they're they're introducing around Michael and Spock, and uh, like why oh, why that's does, right oh why do they have to have like a fraught relationship? Why can't they just aside from you know she theoretically sparked this massive horrible war? That's yeah. a good reason. Like, that's enough reason. Yes. We don't need other stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's disappointing. But I like the stuff they give Tilly a lot. I like the stuff that they're teasing um, for the thread for this season. I think there's potential there. Um, and I like the... You know, I really appreciate James Frayne's performance as Sarek. I think they've he's done really well with that. He's an actor I like that often... Yes. That I really like, actually, who often gets very similar characters because he's very good at that sneering villain thing. Terrific yes. on, on um, Orphan Black, for example. Um, but I think he's... I, he, again, sort of like with Manzoukas, I think he's more interesting when he gets more nuance to play, even though you need a hammy villain, call James Frain, he'll knock it out of the park for you. He'll give you exactly what you're looking for. But I like what he's been doing with Sarek, and um, he's a bigger presence in this first episode, and then you get the feeling that he's going to be background um, or pop up a couple times maybe throughout the season. So we will see how that goes. Uh, but I think there are some good adjustments here. They very, like, on the nose, <laughs> a mansplaining character in a way that I was like, I see what you're doing here, show, but I also, like, I'm 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 okay with it. <laughs> and I don't want to say more than that, because spoilers, in case you watch this. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm hopeful. I, the overall arcing plot doesn't look like it's necessarily going to be all of that, but I also think it gets a stronger sense that maybe they are less in love with their ideas than they are with making a good show. So that's my hope for this season. And maybe hope springs eternal and I'm just being foolish. We will see. I will report back when there's something to report. But for now, I thought it was a solid start to the season and one that I would um, happily sit down and watch. Like, in the, the this season on trailer too also feels more episodic which okay. i think is going to be a good look for the show so yes. we'll see we'll see what happens but yeah some nice moments and uh yeah hopefully more to come well if this turns out okay then i'll pay cbs all access to watch this over a weekend <laughs> exactly right <laughs> yeah that's the that's i full full throatedly support that 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 approach um what about american experience and the swamp Right, so this was the 31st season premiere of American Experience. (laughs) Um, The Swamp um, deals with uh, a very kind of brief survey of our relationship, ours being the United States' relationship with the Everglades. Um, And it opens really aggressively with, um, and also really cheekily, I feel like, (laughs) of recounting attempts to drain the Everglades slash drain the swamp. And um, it feels very pointed that they open this way as drain the swamp for those of you who have either repressed it or weren't subjected to it constantly during the 2016 campaign was a big talking point for the Trump um, campaign and has proven that he did not drain anything. But the sh- the episode and the movie um, make clear that you can't drain the Everglades. You can't. 
Mm -hmm. Um, because even if you do succeed to a certain point, which someone actually did to a certain point, managed to drain a large portion, I should say, of the Everglades. As soon as it starts to rain, it just fills back up again. (laughs) Um, so there's an, there ends up being coming this sort of story about conservation and about activism, um, that results in people who weren't like part of Florida, basically, because it took a long time for Florida to become something Um, that it was this sort of passion project of dedicated journalists who weren't from there, um, from activists who recognized the fact that there was value in this as land, as value, as an ecosystem, and this sort of a thing. So that all gets pushed um, kind of heavily in this. But what I also really appreciated about this was the fact that Native American voices were very prominent within this in terms of recounting, well, yeah, when it got made a national park, that was great, but sort of thing of like, yeah, that wasn't super great for us. Um, and so there's that aspect to it. Um, there's also the aspect that to survive some of this, like a number of tribes set up stereotypical sort of experience, the native American lifestyle sort of things to make money, um, as tourists kind of kept circling in. Um, so I think it's a really good sort of survey about the Everglades. Um, it ends with basically the creation of the Everglades national park. Um, but there's plenty of really good general sort of footage. You get to see a bunch of Model Ts just doing, like, doing, um, circles on the beach. And someone basically saying, yeah, pretty much every Model T that came off the line ended up in Florida at one point or another. So people could just drive around. And it's just like, that's so buck wild. Um... So, again, I think it's really good. I don't think it's particularly as good as some of their other episodes, like the Chinese Exclusion Act from uh, last year or last summer or so, which is exceptional. It's really, really good. I strongly encourage anyone to try and seek out that episode of American Experience. But if you're sort of unfamiliar with the Everglades in any way, shape, or form, this is a really good sort of, again, survey, going back to, like, your survey courses in, like, early college days. This is a really good sort of survey of that. So I'd encourage you to check it out. It is two hours, but it goes by fairly quickly. Okay. Um, yeah. Cool. Interesting. And, you know, I feel like, again, it's one of those things that I feel like we shouldn't have to say, but we do. So way to go, yeah. actually including Native voices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something that is so strongly identified, like such a strong part of the history of the Everglades, or the people yes. who lived there for so yes. long. So yeah, it's sad that that is a noteworthy thing, but it is. So well done, American yep. Experience. Our next show here is uh, Top Chef which had its, uh, like, its butchering and beef episode. Carne! Um, And speaking of butchering... (laughs) Yeah, oh, wow. Well, and that's my main comment on this episode. I appreciated that the episode was very, was all centered on beef, and the, the biggest takeaway from the episode was these chefs do not have enough respect for the loss of life that comes every time we eat meat. An animal died... So that you, you could prepare this food. And yes. this is the food you give us? Yeah. <laughs> and that, I thought that the the show handled that, I thought, pretty well. Um, and and, and the, the fact that, like, their main takeaway was, what is wrong with all of you? 
frou-frou fancy food that you think we want is not what we want. We just want food that respects this sacrifice of and something died so that we could eat it. Yeah. Don't like that that should be meaningful and weighty to anyone who is a meat eater. Anyone who eats things that have some level of sentience. And if it's not, then you are actively choosing to not engage with that. And while I understand that from, like, as someone who doesn't like to eat things where you can see its face, uh, from unresolved issues about probably I should be vegetarian, but that meat is yummy. Um, then, like, I get it, but you're a chef, right? You're, you're a chef. You have yeah. to deal with that. So, um, yeah, I thought this was... That aspect of this episode was interesting and well done. Um, I liked that they just subtitled the guest chef who they brought in, who was just much more comfortable in Italian than in English. And uh, that was neat. But overall... Oh, and I also, you know, I really liked the quick fire with Lena Waithe. I thought that was super fun. Yes. But the rest yeah, of the episode yeah. was just kind of like, eh, for me. It was disappointing. Yeah, it it was just such a weird episode. Like, your point about their whole discussion around a moral circle sort of thing to a certain degree, I thought was really good and sort of a weird... I can't remember the show really doing as much of a push on that concept as they've done in the past. They talked about, like, honoring the animal, but there's a whole, like, heavy bent of that in this episode, no small part because of the Italian butcher that you referenced who came on and was very much just like... I did a really good job butchering this. They did not do a good job cooking it. Um, this was a massive animal. Yeah, it was huge. And was they really, each really gave big. us a tiny little square yeah. of meat. What yeah. happened to the rest of the animal? Yeah. And, like, the person who provided the, um, provided the uh, animal for it was also just like, why didn't I get anything with a bone in it? Which... Again, it's also just really bizarre when you're cooking beef. Like, the guy, the guy who had ribs just went, yeah, no, I'm going to take all this apart. And just like, even I, as someone who does not eat beef and does not eat ribs, was like, wait, wait, what? What are we doing here exactly? Um, and that was, I appreciated that that was basically everyone's response of, especially Tom, who's just like, what are we doing right now? What are you doing right now? What is wrong with all of you? And I really appreciated that basically there wasn't like a safe middle here. There was, all right, here are the top three. The rest of you were all up for elimination because that's how badly this sucked. Um, so I really appreciated that. Um, the Lena Waith challenge was great, but it also demonstrated that impulse that comes through really hard in the elimination challenge of we're going to we're going to like fancy and frou-frou this to borrow a lot of like the nomenclature that they use throughout this episode. And I was just like, no. For Lena Waithe, this is what you do? But also for that dish, this yeah, is what you do. Yeah, this is the hot brown, yeah. It's a hot brown. You don't need to clean it up or make it lighter. I appreciate that the one of the lighter versions was really good, and it did look very appetizing. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, no, that's supposed to be just grease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And cheese is supposed to be something that you eat at 3 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. are you why are you spiffing it up somehow? Don't do that. <laughs> do not Marcel this food. Exactly. Lena Waith doesn't want a foam. She she wants something that's delicious and yeah. elegant. Sure, absolutely. Don't get yeah. me wrong, but she doesn't want pretentious and, and yeah. like 
the, the a the, lot of the food was pretentious. It was super pretentious, and it got away from the three a.m. bar food element of mm-hmm. the dish, which is what it was designed to be. Yes. So that was just a weird sort of arc within this entire episode was the fact that they're not cooking to the challenge and they're not cooking to themselves either, which is another thing that I really appreciate Tom being like, stop doing what you think we want. That has never worked. Mm -hmm. We're 16 seasons in. You've all seen this show. Don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know what's interesting? Because you know that either Nini or Brother... Would have done so much better on this challenge than oh, most yeah. of these chefs did. Absolutely. They absolutely would have. And so it was it was just it was weird and bad. Mm-hmm. Did you watch last excuse me, did you watch Last Chance Kitchen yet? I did, did you? I did. Um I really <laughs> one of my favorite things about Last Chance Kitchen, especially as it's sort of evolved more, is just how really loose Clickio is during mm-hmm. these episodes and his whole thing of like, yeah, the producers are making me do this. So we're going to do slimy food. I don't want to eat any of this. <laughs> I don't want to eat any of this. But yeah, so we're going to do this. And I just really appreciate how unhappy he seems to be the entire time. But I also yeah. appreciate that Pablo and Brendan make a legitimate effort to not do that. Mm-hmm. To try to avoid it and try to avoid that sliminess that tom just really really hates um so i i liked that but i've really i've been enjoying last chance kitchen a lot more i think sometimes than the actual show yeah well because it's 15 minutes right so there's no fat they they just you know get right to it and that's can be fun and they've been smart challenges too like this is a interesting and smart challenge this week so that that really helps well Speaking of smart challenges, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars had their roast episode. This was Roast in Peace. And the it was the third comedy challenge in a row. The queens had to roast Lady, Bu- uh, Lady Bunny in the form of a eulogy. And the, I thought this was a terrific challenge. It was really interesting to see who did great and who really didn't. Um, but I think for me, that all got overshadowed by the twist reveal ending that just kind of for me, just made the whole episode just kind of, like, land with a thud. Because when people do as poorly as some of these queens did in a roast, they deserve to go home. So, how did you feel about this episode? I totally agree with you. Like, um, that, A, that twist doesn't land at all. It's Mm -hmm. very flat. Um, which is a weird thing to experience here. Um, and for the most part none of them really need to come back. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this idea that they're back is just like, no, they don't need to. And also, like you said, someone needed to go home for this roast mm-hmm. and no one did. And that's a problem. Yeah. Um, because it just wasn't good um, in a number of places. So that was also really frustrating was the fact that, no one went home, and yeah. that was that was frustrating. Um, and and I thought it was a really fun and satisfying episode up yes, until that point. That's the thing, right? Yeah, it's a weird sort of the, it's a weird sort of thing of like, all right, they're going to get pointers from Cicely Strong, who is delightful, having a very nice time, and then you get judged by Jennifer Cold Brown, who, as always, is very happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> And is so keyed in to whatever is happening around her that 
Her critiques were really good. Her responses to what was happening was really good. And I just really appreciated all of that. But then it's just like, but some of y'all just didn't do a good job and needed to go home. Yeah. Well, but it also like, it also, the fact that we also had to sit through a whole thing about them pleading cases mm-hmm. when no one went home. I just went, oh, because that's my least favorite part of this show. <laughs> yeah. And so to make me sit through that to be like, no, no one's going home because we're going to do this. It's just like, I don't like you right now, show. I don't like you right now, even if I did really like that challenge. And also, even if I'm just like, "Mm, yeah, no, that was a big mistake to put Manila at the end. I don't know why you did that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that moment when Monique goes, oh, shit, that was probably I shouldn't have done. I shouldn't have done that. No, it was (laughs) even before, like, even when you're just doing it, it's just like. Why did you think that was a good idea? That mm-hmm. was not a good idea. Because Manila's going to work their ass off mm-hmm. and kill it. And then they did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, having seen the next episode, uh, yeah. which by the time y'all listen to this, it has already aired. There's yeah. no reason they couldn't have eliminated someone and then mm-hmm. immediately had them come back. Yeah. There's no reason. There's no, like, structural reason. Like, when you're watching this, it's very clear that they wanted to have a top two and a bottom four because there are four returning queens who've already been eliminated. I wonder if we can do the math. Because Monique did not belong anywhere near the bottom. She -hmm. was a contender for the top. Not, for me, not quite as good as the other two, but very strong. And then the three people sucked. Three people just were bad. They did a bad job for different reasons. And so it's already super contrived. There's yeah. there's no reason you can't they couldn't have done eliminate someone and then and especially if they like they really wanted there to be two like it to be a tie in the lip sync we can talk about that briefly but um then have it be they couldn't have two queens be eliminated and have them yeah. have it work out but they could have had one queen be eliminated and uh, uh spoiler alert they both picked the same queen, so it would have been fine. Um, but the, uh, yeah, just, there's there's no reason. It would have been better in this next episode if they had done that, and it would have been more interesting. And this, the pre- roast in peace would have been much more satisfying had they done that. Because that's the thing, you look at this set of queens who comes back, which of them is going to potentially have a shot at contending? Maybe right, Latrice? Maybe? Yeah. But yeah. they did such a good job of convincing us in Jersey Justice that she yeah. it was her time. Yeah. That even she it's like she's not going to win. So even if somebody does come back, th- they're yeah. going to just get eliminated again. Right. That's that's my biggest problem with this is like Latrice Gia Fair and Jasmine are just like you 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 didn't do well and like you said the entirety of the previous episode was based on yeah, no, Latrice is just really struggling. So what are we going to do type of thing? That was the whole arc for that episode. And now it's just like, Oh no, they're all back for a second chance. And it's just like, but do they deserve one? No, they don't. Yeah. And, and especially when you think about like, your point is really astute about just the arc of this season of like, we've done three comedy challenges. Now, none of them have done well in the comedy challenges of the people coming back. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, um, no. Even mm-hmm. though, like, what is, like, is this one, what's the challenge for this one? This coming for, one? 
Yeah. Oh, lip syncing. Oh, 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 okay. Then I don't understand what's happening right now, Kate. Yeah. I don't understand what they're doing. Well, and if they had eliminated someone, then you would have had five and five. Yeah. And at least one of them would have been someone who was going to contend. Because yeah. Naomi and Valentina and Trinity all had, did a bad job. But they've all been really strong for most of the season. And any yeah. of them could seriously contend for the finals. So that would make a much more satisfying and interesting next episode. If there was at yeah. least one person that you felt like had, like, legitimately could or should be back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really strange. I don't understand that some of the choices made here. Because, yeah. like... Yeah, it's a, I mean, it, it's. It, I know. I think I know why on a strategic level, but it, it's not a good enough reason. <laughs> we'll talk about it more next week when you've seen the next episode. Um, but dial down those expectations, everyone, for yeah. the the Lala Perusical, uh, Lala Perusa. Yeah, Lala Perusa, which is the next yeah. episode. Um, yeah, underwhelming, disappointing. Uh, as much as I did think Monet Slade and uh, and Monique was very good and Manila was a lot of fun. Those looks. Can we talk for a second about the runway? Because gorgeous, stunning, everyone. Yeah, yeah. No, the it was angelic white, right? No, mm-hmm. they were really, really good um, across the board, which I really appreciated. Yeah, and like Naomi doing Prince, fabulous. Mm-hmm. Never would have yep. thought of that. I thought that was awesome. They all they all turned out the looks. They were just it was just like wow, they're all terrific. I thought all their almost all of the looks for the funeral were also fantastic, yeah. and the returning looks of the other queens, which were their funeral looks, uh, were yeah. also stunning. Um, so loved that. And then I really liked the lip sync. I saw some people were not fans. I know Trinity is not much of a fan, but I really liked that lip sync having a more collaborative feel to it. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I did too. Um, I I tend to like it lip syncs more when there is that collaborative feel because it happens sometimes, mm-hmm. and I think it enhances both performers. Yeah, and especially given this show's um, predilection for over editing their lip syncs, <laughs> when it's collaborative, more it on prevents that, next week. that from it prevents that from happening. Yeah, and I like that because again, the lip syncs don't get cut to hell, and I don't get a weird sense of sometimes going like, wait, what? which lip sync did the judges see? Because the one we got to see does not make sense with what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I liked that aspect of it. Um, so God, now I'm just like not excited at all about tonight's episode. Thanks, Kate. You're welcome. <laughs> what wins your week in reality and genre? Um, well, that's a great question. Um... Promise Neverland, I think, is like kind of wins by default. Mm-hmm. Um, since Top Chef was just disappointing, even though it was entertainingly disappointing. Um, All Stars was just frustrating. Um, but also, Top Chef just made me want a hop round, and now I kind of want one for dinner, and <laughs> we can't make that at the house. Um, so, yeah, I'll give it to Promise Neverland. What about you? Um, I will give it to All But the Ending. <laughs> of all stars or star trek discovery uh, and i didn't mention okay. this but i should have the cg was gorgeous and lovely in in discovery too so that was another thing okay. to really enjoy yeah so if i have to give it to the whole episode i'll give it to discovery if i can give it to all but the ending i'll give it to all stars so on that uh caveat written answer uh let's take a break and we'll come back with our spotlight on season one of netflix's sex education 
I've noticed you're pretending to masturbate, and I was wondering if you wanted to talk about it. Oh, I wish my mum was a sex guru. So, why don't you start by telling me your earliest memory of your scrotum? Trust me, you don't. No, I love you so bad. This is a new frontier, my sexually repressed friend. Our chance to finally move up the social food chain. I'm worried about you, man. Everybody's either thinking about shagging, about to shag, or actually shagging. The students at this school need your help, and we need their money. I'll deal with the business and things, and you can do the therapy. Therapy? Yeah, sex therapy. Like your mum. Wow, sex therapist. This could be awesome. We could be popular. I might have a mild to moderate crush on me. I'm addicted to wanking. My pubes are out of control. I wish I could be a normal kid with a normal dad, with a normal dick. Mm. <laughs> Here for the best two years of our lives. Let me give you some condoms. Oh, thanks, Mum. Stay out of my life. Do you want me to be dead? You can't choose who you're attracted to. You can't engineer a relationship. I don't believe in love. You are who you are. Don't let anyone take that away from you. I still think it's a way a teenage boy's a sex therapist. That was the trailer for season one of Netflix's Sex Education, which is a an eight episode series um, set in the UK and was filmed in Wales, set in England. Uh, or sorry, I should say the Britain. I don't know where precisely it's set. Um, about a teenager who is, I think he's supposed to be like fifteen, um, played by a twenty something year old, um, and who, who starts up a, a a sex therapy or in sex advice sort of clinic at his high school under the suggestion of one of the other students looking to make a buck. Um, the main character is played by Asa Butterworth. His mother, the character's mother is Julian Anderson, who is a sex therapist. So that's why he, the idea comes to any, you know, to them. Um, so, but it's about this, this character and his, you know, Otis and his best friend, Eric, and their tri- trials and travails in school. Um, what did you think of the show? Overall, I really liked this. Um, I have some reservations about a couple of things. Um, two really large ones. Um, but also the aesthetic things that I sort of referenced at the top um, are not major deal breakers. Those aren't major deal breakers um, for me. So overall, I really liked this. Um, I think it's really well performed. I think Asia, but Asia, Asia, Asia. I just know it's ASA. Yeah. Um, Butterfield and Gillian Anderson have an immense amount of chemistry mm-hmm. and carry a lot of the show, um, even when it's – carry a lot of the show. Um, and they're particularly good when they're together. Um, and I think that the rest of the cast is generally pretty solid across the board. Um so I think it's I did really enjoy it. My person and I both like watched it um and consumed it pretty quickly. 
um, in part because I had to watch it for the podcast, <laughs> so we didn't really get to watch a whole lot else. But we also never felt like a chore, um, and there were a couple of times where we were both just like, but it's 8 o'clock, but we want to watch another one, which is probably, <laughs> like, the strongest endorsement I can give something is, like, it's, oh, but but we want to watch another one, but we need to go to bed and read. Um, uh, is sort of, like, where we were with the show. So, overall, really good. Things, issues with it, to be sure. Um, but pretty strong overall. What did you think? I really enjoyed it. And I absolutely agree. It's super bingeable, which I have not uh-huh. said that in a while about a show. Uh, maybe, I guess probably She-Ra, but, but no, like, this is the first, um, like hour long show where I've been like, next please. Nom, 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 yeah. Um, in, in, in quite a while. And, uh, for me, I, you know, I loved the aesthetic, um, I mm-hmm. immediately was getting, wait, when is this set? Is this 80s? Is this 90s? Is like, is it now? And I mean, th- that clear choice to pay homage to, you know, like the John Hughes movies and other sex comedies, like teen set, you know, teenage teenagers uh, getting into wacky shenanigans in the high school um, kind of media, I think, worked well. And it drew just this idea of like universality and kids are kids <laughs> teens have always been teens um in a way that i thought was was interesting and fun and i think that they the performances are excellent the main performances in my opinion and i think that the the way they've drawn the characters the main characters specifically works really well having jillian anderson's character the mom be a lot of times like idealized perfect cool mom and then really not like completely destroying boundaries a completely inappropriate and very much in the wrong (laughs) unethical yeah i thought that that worked really well to humanize a character that could have easily just been too like perfect or too convenient for this kind of a show and and the like they i thought they started out with um a good rapport and chemistry with those characters and and the actors but then they they showed all the downsides of having a therapist for for a mother and and for both parents but um in a way that was was uh, appropriate and entertaining and how did he not already have a lock on this door but that's they he gets there by the end of the season which is which is good uh, i liked the um the balance of home versus school stuff i thought that that worked well and uh while I mean, like, I don't recognize these teenagers at all. Sure. This was not my school experience. These are not the people, any of them, that I was spending time with when I was in school or experiences I could identify with. I still, like, they felt real enough for me. And um, I I thought it was just, it was entertaining. And it also was just so awesome to watch something that is set now that with teenagers where somebody shows up like in headwig clothes, like in full drag going to, and it's like, what? Nobody, nobody cares, which is awesome, which is not the reality. A lot of places for a lot of people, but like at the school, the yeah. other teenagers really don't care in a way that they couldn't possibly have done like a while ago. Like not even that long ago, that could not have been a believable part of their, the social like norm at that school. Um, and, and of course they get into all sorts of like the dangers of being someone who is, uh, 
is dresses in a way that fuckers are going to single you out for harassment. They get they don't shy away from that. Um, but I liked like that, that this made it feel the show feel very much now. Like so, so while there are aesthetic things that could put it in many different time periods, there were also some specifics that I thought made it feel like like the fact that one of the couples that he's helping are two lesbians who are who are dating who are who have been out for however long at the school, and it's the, the trouble is not that they're being harassed; it's not that they're being uh, uh, persecuted. It's it's that like they have their main issue is. Uh, communication, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, that was I. Th- I thought that was really neat. It was really neat, and yeah. So like the the show being everyone having sort of an eighties seventies sort of aesthetic, but cell phones. And <laughs> <laughs> it was clearly much more of an issue for you than it was for me, <laughs> right? But also, it's just like it gets to this idea that this is a British school, but they've got varsity jackets. I don't understand what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like this idea of like transplanting, like not transplanting, but amalgamating the concepts of a British school and an American school to do this sort of a sex romp mm-hmm. is just kind of weird by the end. It's fine. But mm-hmm. for the first two episodes, I'm like, what is happening right now? Um, why is there an actual football being thrown? That's not a thing. Um, but again, you get enough sense of like the geography of that space of like, okay, yeah, this doesn't necessarily feel particularly American either. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, it just kind of settles into its own space and you just get acclimated to it for the most part, which I, I am glad for because otherwise it was going to bother me a lot. Um, I appreciate that a friend of mine, after I watched like the first couple episodes, I texted her and I was just like, what is happening with the aesthetics here? And she's just like, I just think they're British <laughs> was the response. And I was just like, I can roll with that. Um, yeah. So no, the aesthetics thing was just a hang up for like a couple episodes, but it's still kind of weird. Um, but like you said, I do appreciate the idea that there's, there's enough like social progression of like being dressed up for Hedwig doesn't necessarily cause a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, at least from fellow youths. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also one of those things where I just go, yeah, but no one's really staring at their phones a lot in this show, which also seems incorrect. Um, um, but otherwise it would be a very dull show if they were. But mm-hmm. there's enough use of phones as plot devices in a couple of cases that Kind of makes up for that, but there's there's also just this weird lack of social media as well that feels a little weird to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, overall, I think that there's really good things happening across the board. With again, like that, the problems are not necessarily their orientation, but it is we don't communicate well, or I just. I, I, I just, the actual relations, sexual relations they're having aren't clicking for some reason. And let's figure that out. And a lot of the times it's more emotional and intellectual than it is just a degree of physical incompatibility, which I also really appreciated. Um, so I think there's a number of really good things here. I think it's really funny um, to um, Vince's point about it being cringy. I think there's plenty of instances where it's like, my person and I were both covering our the, ourselves with a blanket. 
but it wasn't out of like that kind of cringe comedy sort of perspective, mm-hmm. um, which is not my thing, as you know, and is very easy to swerve into with sexual comedy. And they generally really avoid that. Um, but I could also do with just fewer prosthetic erection jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that, you know, for me, the difference was they were not, and this is something that Vince touched on, they weren't trying to use cringy moments to get you to laugh at and mock the people who are being cringy, who are being awkward. It feels like a organic and honest moment where, and then it's treated with respect and empathy by the other characters in general. Um, And particularly in the therapy sessions. And that's essential because it's like these are stupid kids who don't know stuff and they're trying to figure it out and so the the show has a lot of empathy for them and i mean that all comes down to otis and i really engaged with that character in the performance as well and i think if you did if you don't like otis if you don't connect with otis you're not gonna like this show oh no absolutely not you need to like otis because otherwise the show's not gonna work (laughs) (laughs) yeah all the julian anderson in the world as as, as as mighty as her powers are, yeah, they are mighty in this show. <laughs> save this show without without uh, without him. I, how did the the stuff with Eric work for you? The stuff with Eric works um, pretty well for me, really up until the end. Um, I really like his relationship with Otis. Um, I like that the shows conflicts with that as sort of well trodden as they are. Um, feel really organic to the show and because of the performers involved feel generally pretty fresh um, this idea that oh yeah no we're finding different interests and also I really like this girl and I'm not going to hang out with you as much anymore and I'm going to do this stupid thing even though we should be going to go see Hedwig um, is again it's really trite for team narratives but because of the performers it feels really good and um it works generally really well um i really like his family stuff a lot um because there's (coughs) there's it's very easy for that to feel really cliched but i like the fact that eric's turnaround comes as a result of going to church and the message that he finds and the safety that he finds within this idea of you have to love yourself um, is and that it comes through this community that he's distanced himself from. I really like that. That's where he finds that in instead of like the, his entire family really coming around. Um, and really, it's just his dad that kind of comes around. And I like that moment of. I shouted at that man is very good. (laughs) And it's sort of like the perfect sort of payoff, I think to that arc. Um, So generally I'm, I'm trying to still avoid heavy spoilers is that the Eric stuff generally works really well. And I think that there's just really good dynamics again, because that's going to be something that comes up a lot as we discuss this is just like all the character dynamics are so good and so smooth that it makes up for almost just about any sort of critique I could level at it apart. Like I said, like with the, this is just really well-trodden territory, but it feels really good. And by the time that Otis and Eric reconcile by the end, well, not by the end, by the dance, it's just like, Oh, that felt, that felt good. That felt good. It felt Mm -hmm. right. It felt like the right amount of time. It felt like the right amount of distance. Yes. 
So that's kind of how I feel about it. How did you feel about it? Yeah, I liked it a lot. And like you said, the 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 turn coming at church um was really appropriate and and something different than I think I've seen in this kind of a narrative, an arc before. Yeah. And I thought that was absolutely and I'm sure this is not new, but that that read of love your neighbor as you lo- as you love yourself is so powerful and I've never heard that. I've never heard that take on that line. It's such a crucial line in Christianity or at least it's supposed to be. <sighs> Anyways, um that you know you can if you don't love yourself then how could you possibly love your neighbor as you love yourself? And that's one of the chief commandments. It's one of like the most important rules. So clearly yeah. God is commanding you to love yourself. Um, I thought that was beautiful and well done. Um, the It sort of connects me with a, th- a thread I noticed throughout the whole show. There are a lot of very familiar archetypes, beats, yes. narratives, and progressions. These are all characters you've seen in many of these stories over and over and over again. And some of them are better written and some of them are not as well written. Um, but generally, the performances are really strong and that's what makes it work. Uh, yes. And makes it come together. The one that I had the biggest problem with, again, no spoilers, the way that the they took the bully narrative, Adam, yeah. Adam at the end, I didn't particularly like. I didn't it's think bad. I didn't it's think legitimately it was, bad. It was a. I didn't think it was earned. I don't think they were saying it was good necessarily. I think it's supposed to be kind of messed up, but I didn't. I thought it was too trite and simple. Yes, of an answer. Yeah, and it's also deeply unpleasant, even though it's telegraphed from episode one that yeah. this is what's going to happen in episode eight. Yeah. Um, they It's a big flashing billboard mm-hmm. um, the entirety well, of the season. And it feels like an answer, you know, in yes. a way that other characters don't get an answer, you know, like, yeah. a, you know, like a simple thing. And that's it's a little disappointing because they do so many other things. I think they do a lot of other things with Adam really well with his father and with his mother and, and all that stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Any other, what were your, cause you, cause I know that you had more issues with this. Where were some other flags for you? Um, well, I can't get into this particular flag without like getting into a little bit of spoiler territory. So mm-hmm. um, listeners, if you're interested, just maybe skip ahead a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll say skip ahead five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, so my big problem has to do a lot with, like, Otis um, and his sexual development. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not crazy. It's a weird sort of mindset that I have about this in that I very much think that Otis should be asexual. Mm-hmm. But also the idea that he's in this state of arrested development in through a trauma um, comes through really heavily because he's Basically, when we get that flashback of him as a kid, he's basically still dressing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like this this con- this particular type of sexual trauma is perfect for this kind of a show, but it's also the least interesting choice that they could make. Yeah. And as a result of that, when he comes to terms with it and can finally masturbate and Butterfield's so good at that O-face, it's so good, Kate. It's so <laughs> good and pure. But it just feels like a really boring resolution to this particular type of story. Mm. And it's a less interesting choice than being like, yeah, no, he just, he exists somewhere in the asexuality spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a more interesting way for them to have gone because they they established that 
really nicely, basically, from the Mm get-go. And there are plenty of instances in which people who identify as asexual experience some degree of sexual trauma, and that is why. But there are also plenty of people who do not. And I'd rather see an asexuality representation of something like that that isn't connected to trauma so that the two don't get conflated. Mm-hmm. Um, as you're trying to explain what asexuality is on literally two shows. Um, mm-hmm. And so this is a really good show to do that. That kind of, at the very least, maybe shuts it down a little bit. Not to say that they do entirely, because there are plenty of asexual people who masturbate and enjoy masturbation. Mm-hmm. But that there's not enough... It feels more so tied up in his trauma than it does in an orientation. Mm-hmm. And that was something I really struggled with. And as a resolution, I was really sort of, I wasn't exactly keen on it. So that was basically like my one kind of big reservation about the show overall was that. Plus the fact that you just don't fuck your bullies, Kate. You don't fuck them. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, yes, I concur. Um, yeah, I, you know, and I think that would have been, like you said, a much more interesting way to go with Otis, with yeah. that character. And I, and I agree, I don't think that's what they're doing. Um, so we'll see where they go next season. I imagine they want to be able to have, I mean, I, I also am assuming it's going to get renewed um, based yeah. on the 40 million households, whatever that means. Uh, I imagine it's, it's getting renewed. It's nonsense. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, uh, I, I imagine they're going towards a sex therapist who is great in his profession of teenage sex therapist, yes. but can't get his personal life together. Can he right. take his own advice? Like, it's not as interesting. Like you yeah, said. Yeah, it's not. No. I did enjoy uh, some of the other peripheral characters. I <laughs> I when... want an entire show about Lily Kate. I cannot begin yeah. to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was very funny. And when they bike down the hill for no reason, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I liked the casting of James Purefoy as Otis's horrible father. That's um, who that was. Oh my god, that's who that was. It's driving me nuts. I could yeah. not place him. Yes. Oh, yes. that's so good and complete with so terrible good. facial hair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very good. <laughs> and I like how they don't just like they completely sidestep any discussion of how completely unethical it is to have a a physical and sexual relationship with a patient, which yeah, <laughs> obviously is a well, thing that unless they were role playing, which I guess is possible. But no, not in that instance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, just... because then you really have to address the sheer unethicalness that Jean engages in by mm-hmm. writing a paper about her son. <laughs> yeah, well, and how it seemed like they she thought she was going to publish that. Would, yeah, wouldn't make any sense. Um, so they again, it seems like they're going to sidestep that, which I appreciate. Um, but we'll see what happens in season two. Uh, we're at the end of our spoiler time here, so we should. Um, probably wrap things up. Um, was there a, did you have a favorite episode or a performance we haven't mentioned yet? Uh, no, because like Lily was great. Um, I liked Ola. Ola was really good too. I really enjoyed that performance as well. Um, let's see. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I'm looking at the episode list right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the school dance episode is really solid. Um, 
in part because it's the turn for everything that happens in the finale and also the culmination of everything that comes up. Um, we didn't really discuss um, Emma McKay. Uh, Emma McKee, who plays Maeve, is also really, really good. Yeah, she's really um, good with a character that could so easily just be a stereotype. Right. And that's what happens to her brother. And that's mm-hmm. a problem with that storyline is like, no, we know he's going to screw up. And lo and behold. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of drags her down a little bit as well. Um, but overall, I think that there's just some really good stuff here. And this is also, I will say, this is a really good use of Al- Alistair Peastree, who plays the headmaster. Um, mm-hmm. This is something he can very easily do in his sleep. But... He's very good in this. <laughs> yeah. No, he definitely is. And the um the love interest for Jean is also really good too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so strong ensemble, like we've been saying. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's a super strong ensemble. So are you gonna be back for season two? Should it happen? Yeah, no, I will definitely be in for a season two for sure. Um because it's just it's really good. And it's a really delightful thing to get some Gillian Anderson in. Though this reminds me of one thing. One thing, Kate, that we didn't discuss and we need to. Uh-huh. Is the fact that, why is that handyman not played by Mads Mikkelsen? Why? I don't understand. <laughs> don't understand it, Kate. They he could should have. Be played, he should be played by Mads Mikkelsen. Yes, I understand he's Swedish. I don't care. He could just as easily be Danish and it would be fine. <laughs> Because I like this guy, but then you put the idea of Mads Mikkelsen in my head, and now, like, I can't You can't it. unwant it! Like, he could do the the 5 o'clock shadow, right? Mm-hmm. And it would, it, it would be, it would have been really good. That's true. Yeah, it would have been super good. And, like, no no fault to the, the person who's actually in this, who's excellent. But yeah, they no, didn't he is... have Gillian Anderson and Mads Mikkelsen money. Is my yeah. guess. No, they probably do not. But no, the guy that they cast for it, um, Mikhail Perzbrandt, is really, really good in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also just like, I immediately went, why is this not Mads Mikkelsen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tears. Tears. Now what, I'm just imagining what might have been. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I also will be back for season two. And this gets my hearty endorsement. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and the only people I wouldn't recommend this to are people who don't like sex and, and relationship comedies. Yeah. Who are, you know, like, and I think everybody in this, just imagine they're all in college and it may, <laughs> some of this makes more sense. As Again, as someone who interacts with characters these a, this age, uh, I both appreciated very much and didn't appreciate the fact that they look so much older. So, like... And I can have Adam my, especially was just like that kid's only like twenty two, twenty three, but he looks so much older than that. Yeah, he does not look <laughs> seventeen and eighteen. Yeah, and some of it's also costuming, and and it, yeah. it, there's a variety of of um, there's a range within the cast, but like yeah, but yeah, but it's also kind of like if if it's gonna be straight up, we're watching them have sex. Like maybe I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, this isn't freaks and geeks. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, anyways, on that on that note, uh, thank you for the conversation, as always, Noel. A few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there, or you can find our uh, page on iTunes, M4A Chapter Feed, and MP3 Unchapter Feed. Leave us a rating or review. Um, we're also up in Stitcher. You can leave us a rating or review there. If you do, let us know, or else I'll find out about it. Like two years later. <laughs> and of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you very much, Kate. 
Thank you, Noel, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.